0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: The future of farms is the future of food. No Farms, No Future is a new podcast from American Farmland Trust and
2: Heritage Radio Network. Listen today. Dear Fields listeners, this is a quick note to say thank you. Fields is honored to be one of more than 20 Heritage Radio Network shows that have been nominated for a Taste Award, in our case for Best Series Pilot. These are the highest awards for creators, producers, hosts, and directors of lifestyle programs, series, shows, and cinema. That means the Taste Awards are a big deal in food and agriculture journalism. Now that we're wrapping up a second season and already taping a third, we can honestly say we've learned a lot not only about urban agriculture, of course, but about the noble art of podcasting. So we really appreciate everyone who has joined us since our humble pilot, and we look forward to exploring many more concrete-hemmed fields together soon. Thank you so much. You're listening to Season 2 of Fields, the Podcast, with Melissa Metrick, Wythe Marshall, and Allie Wist.
3: On Fields, we're bringing you the stories of people who are working in the world of urban agriculture. For money, for fun, for art, for justice, to feed the hungry, to green the city, or to uncover
1: its history. In each episode of Fields, we'll delve into one kind of food that's grown in cities, one technology used to grow food, or one project that teaches us something about our relationship to farming in urban environments.
2: Moreover, we'll investigate all the whys behind getting up in the morning and working as a farmer today. You don't need to be a farmer to enjoy this podcast,
3: or even a foodie.
2: We're going to tell fascinating stories and break down the realities and possible futures of urban farming to their elements, examining each in turn. Thank you so much for listening.
4: Hey everyone, this is Jeffrey Landau with Farms Unknown and Agritecture. I am super excited to share with you this latest interview between myself and Jay Olu. Jay Olu is the second director for urban agriculture with the city of Atlanta. He and I have a wonderful conversation all while walking through the West Atlanta Watershed Alliance, also known as WAWA. Funny enough, he and I get caught in a thunderstorm during this interview, so you may be hearing some rain, some thunder as well as some birds and other natural noises in the background. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Can you introduce yourself, Mm. your title, um, and your role and responsibilities? Yeah, Um, J. Olu Baiwu.
5: It is great to be here. Uh, J is an initial for my first name, Olu is my middle name, and uh, Baiwu is my last name. One way to think about it is buy a Wu Tang CD. So Wu. <laughs> right? So um, Jay Olu Baiwu. I am the Urban Agriculture Director for the City of Atlanta. Uh, I've been in this space now for over six months, so I don't feel like a visitor anymore. I feel like I I, I know where things are, even though it's been mostly virtual um, as far as office space. Um, I've been doing this work since 2013. Currently at the City of Atlanta. Uh, You know, work in the policy areas of urban agriculture, food access, uh, food recovery, and waste diversion. Um, Yeah, and that involves a lot of things from, you know, actually ID'ing and securing, you know, public-private partnerships so we can have more land to actually grow food, collaborating with controlled environment growers and seeing what's up with that as far as warehouses and shipping containers, et cetera, et cetera. also you know working on like a food fresh food access report that highlights all the different spaces in the city of Atlanta where you can access food whether it's a grocery store super center neighborhood store farmer's market and now for the first time we're going to highlight the farms as well so people realize that farms are fresh food access points as well and community gardens that'll be like next year Um, and yeah just kind of hitting it on a variety of ways you know some of the stuff we do with the city of Atlanta uh, we have the grows a lot program which is a city-owned vacant or underutilized property program where residents can um, have a licensure agreement for five years as of right now. We're working on pushing that further, but five years to turn it into a community garden or an urban farm. Um, we also do educational classes like Aglance Academy. Uh, we have the largest food forest in the country, uh, the Browns Mill Food Forest is 7.1 acres. And now we're standing at the Outdoor Activity Center in Southwest Atlanta, uh, which is stewarded by Wawa. The West Atlanta Watershed Alliance, and this will become the largest food forest again in Atlanta, and then we'll have two in the city of Atlanta. So that's amazing, we're at now.
4: yeah, amazing. So as urban ag director, you know, you've covered a lot of a lot of roles or responsibilities that you have to, you know, ensure for your constituents. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you know farmers here in the city of Atlanta face? Sure, um, you know, access to land is is
5: always Access to growing spaces, access to land is, is always a thing, um, is always a challenge, especially in, uh, I think, everywhere, but definitely in urban environments where, you know, there's only so much land that's available, period. Mm-hmm. Um, Atlanta is definitely top five in the country as far as fastest growing rates, as far as cities. Uh, we're attracting a lot of folks from um, industries such as, like, IT, uh, technology. Uh, Microsoft is, you know, coming building a campus down here. Google is here. Facebook is here. There are a lot of folks here and other small businesses as well. Um, So land access is a thing because, you know, competing with uh, one of those great organizations or companies to be able to get a five acre property, you know, there's much more tax revenue that can be generated from building up, right, than building out or even digging in, like we tend to do with some of this kind of outdoor urban agriculture. Um, So land is always key. You know, access to capital as well, you know, I mean, we definitely have support from extension agents. We definitely have support from like the USDA NRCS. So that's, that's super useful. Um, the Department of Agriculture in 2018 introduced the uh, Office of Urban Agriculture within that. So that has been a boon and several of our farmers and gardeners have connected with that already. So that's been useful, um, but you know, we still need more. I mean, I think that the story is still, is still being tested at times as far as the sustainability and viability of urban agriculture and i think what we're doing here locally is showing that it can be done and it's real so
4: yeah so you know a lot of conversation i have is around how consumers are starting to ask more questions about where their food comes from and as urban ag director you know i'm curious to hear your take as to why there is such a divide between the consumer and the producer and how can a city play more of a role in, in bridging that divide.
5: Yeah, I think, um, you know, as far as how we got here, I mean, I think that at some point in time, you know, I, 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 I know history, but I don't always do get the years right, so I won't try to guess it in that way. But, you know, through industrialization, right, I mean, people came into um, the city uh, to get, you know, job opportunities, there were different housing opportunities, but really employment, right? That was a major driver. To people coming into the city. So, um, when that happened, you know, part of what also happened is people didn't have as much property, didn't have as much land, so they lost their connection to the land. I also think that in the in the way, and there's actually a forest trail right here, Ooh. so. Yeah, in the way that we came into the city, that many of us came into the city, I mean, it also helps increase the kind of value of the proposition for grocery stores and supermarkets. Um, where it's like we can bring in the food from other places into the city versus the days of, hey, let's go down the street and, you know, pick grapes at so-and-so's field <laughs> or, yeah. you know, pick apples. So I think there was just this, like, disconnection to the land. Now, what we know is some of it, uh, yeah, and this is actually a well-established trail. This is an old-growth uh, forest, which is also part of the Outdoor Activity Man, Center. Yeah, this is like a
4: secret trail of Atlanta I've oh, never heard man, it's, about before. It's, yeah, it's amazing.
5: <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually working out well for the rain cover too. Yeah. Um, and we also know that, I mean, to a certain extent, right, like people who are, you know, your traditional Black, Indigenous, people of color, mm-hmm. who have some of these roots in agriculture and agrarian ways and were actually even partly, you know, brought to this country and or already were in this country for those ways, uh, of the, the way that they do the work in agriculture, but then when you disconnect them from the land, right, then production goes down. Yeah. <laughs> so I think with the commercialization of grocery stores and retail markets, with the commercialization of agriculture and rural communities, with the commodity crops, um, and then with the disconnection to the land from you know many farmers, but definitely, you know, black indigenous people of color, then we get to a place where it's like people don't know how to farm, people don't know how food comes from. So what we get to do in the urban space is you know say hey you can come 10 minutes from where you live and look at a community garden or an urban farm and see how it's done and it can show you a couple things i mean one let's try decipher actually let's pause for a moment if you under. but you know one like it should be inspirational and for me it was when i used to like see patchwork and when i used to see true living well and and until this day you know like it's just amazing to Mm -hmm. see what you can do with kind of a finite amount of space. Um, And then it's inspiring because that's what leads me to go back to my house and try to like replicate some of that with whatever it is, whether it's on a rooftop, whether it's in my backyard, front yard, on the side, vertical, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, tower gardening, all of that stuff. Um, And then, you know, the education and awareness I think is key. is like having spaces that are also available and accessible to the public so that they can come and touch it and feel it. Um, what we get to do in the city is talk about it, promote these spaces, promote these growers, you know, use the conference and mm-hmm. uh, events like that to kind of promote it. And people get into it, you know, like with this site here, the Outdoor Activity Center, I think they said when, where science meets nature, I think is one of their like like stances. And it's like, yeah, like you can come out here and you can look at mu- mushrooms growing in an old growth mm-hmm. forest and trees that are, who knows, right? I mean, somebody knows, yeah. but who knows like <laughs> how old they are. And then we're going to also introduce like you know berry brambles and things of that nature similar to what's happened at brown's Mill food Mm -hmm. forest and just show people like whether it's in the forest on a reclaimed field on the top of like a backyard space you can do this too you know
4: as as a director for a city um in such a unique industry agriculture you know Mm -hmm. cities are only slowly starting to put out positions for urban ag directors and really incorporate agriculture into their resiliency plans yeah Um, what have you come across as like unforeseen challenges in your role Um, and opportunities to -hmm. to really make an impact
5: yeah I think there's a um, there's an opportunity to take the passion of the work and to like translate that in a way that people can understand the value of it. And we recognize that value is relative. So, for example, with the Parks and Recreation Department, perhaps they're looking at, well, how many people went to a fitness class? Mm -hmm. You know, how many people, uh, how many people went to a fitness class, right? So, you know, what we get to do here is create spaces where people can see that agriculture and this this work in general is going to be connected to health and nutrition and health and nutrition is a key part of fitness. So you get to kind of show that like integrated programming. So translating it into a way that's palatable for the audience. You know, I think when it comes to government, like so there's sometimes some hesitancy because, you know, they're looking for things to be aesthetic. Um, they don't want to have complaints from the residents, right? And the businesses, you know, we want we work for the people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's this kind of tendency, like how can it look as clean as like a botanical garden or something like that? So we have to be able to you know, kind of challenge that narrative and say that there's beauty in this, even though this is not maintained the same way as a botanical garden. It's nature actually does a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, But then add the elements as well that make it accessible to people where they can say, you know, I love botanical gardens and I love the Outdoor Activity Center and I love the Brownsville Food Forest and all of this is necessary. So what I get to do is figure out how to translate that to the various agencies. Mm-hmm. At Department of City Planning, you know, on one end of it, you know there's this there's this idea of density in the city and there's this idea uh, it's a strong idea of density in the city obviously include improve, improved transportation public transportation and just transportation as a whole so again how is that connected and housing how is that connected to agriculture so if we're working with like the housing authority mm-hmm. on affordable housing and we know that those communities tend to be located in areas with higher risk of food insecurity higher energy burden higher transportation burden then how do we connect that and say that in this five acre affordable housing development can we also do and this I was actually on this project it didn't happen yet but a one acre farm yeah. right so not having necessarily the people who have to quote unquote work that farm like we're not trying to force people into that but if the farmer who is leading that farm wants to now live in an affordable housing place and they can walk right outside and do their work and still provide produce to the affordable housing community as well as external community. Like now we're all connecting it, right? Yeah. Now we've touched on housing. Now we've talked about like access to food. There's education, awareness, we're doing health and nutrition. So it's it's part of my work is, is like connecting the dots and getting to the people who can see the bigger vision mm-hmm. that can then say, yeah, yeah, actually, we'd love for you to come and speak here and also help us put a garden at a school, and also do a walk Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: So, you know, as you are navigating these challenges specific to, you know, your city, Atlanta, I also understand that the city of Philadelphia has an urban ag director, DC, mm-hmm. um, New York City, and then these other small towns across the country. Yeah. Um, are you connecting with other urban ag directors and managers and sharing insights and lessons learned
5: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, definitely. You know, shout out to Ash Richards in Philadelphia. Shout out to Kate Lee in D.C. um, And a variety of other folks. New Haven, Connecticut, Mm -hmm. Minneapolis, um, Baltimore. You know, there there are a lot of folks, Austin, Texas, Mm -hmm. that I actually... um, yeah convene with on a monthly basis um one through just kind of like this informal urban ag directors network that's been set up uh elizabeth Beek actually linked me up to that one of the first things when i started here um so we just had a meeting the other day and we were talking about the american rescue plan um act and that funding and how it's coming to cities and you know how different cities have been able to you know utilize that or receive that and you know what we're finding out is like wow we're going through similar challenges you know like You know, some people are like, it's not even on our radar yet. Some people are saying like, wow, we're not even in the conversation. For us in Atlanta, it's like we're in the conversation and it comes quick. It's Mm -hmm. like um, I tell people part of government can be hurry up and wait. So it's like we need something. American Rescue Plan, there's $100 at stake, but we got to hear back from you tomorrow. And you got to be able to like crank that out and mm -hmm. put it all in. So a lot of us are having similar experiences to that um then a lot of us are also some of us are having success already and saying that this is how we did it and we're totally leveraging that yeah also part of the u.s council of mayors um so there is a food policy working group within the u.s council of mayors i've been linked into that and we have maybe twice a month calls actually that are usually focused on a specific topic or policy so that's cool because as you said, there's some cities that have urban agriculture directors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also a lot of other cities that also have like food policy directors yeah. and all that. And, and they intertwine mm-hmm. and they intermingle. And then, you know, in my position, I'm doing a little bit of all of that yeah. right now until we get up capacity. So yeah, there's, it's definitely happening. We're having some similar challenges and some similar victories. And people are excited about similar things, which is like, how can we get residents, opportunities and businesses and visitors to be more engaged with their food system um, on all levels of it, even down to the composting and all that stuff. Um, like I said, literally the full circle. Mm-hmm. And how can we make sure that we're not having barriers to that or minimizing barriers for people to be involved? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: For the um, other cities out there that are now trying to understand what they can do to to really leverage the opportunity in their communities, you know, what advice would you give to them as they try to create some type of urban agriculture plan or position Mm -hmm. to really, you know, showcase what they're doing and improve their urban food resiliency. Uh, Take the good and apply it to
5: what you want to do. So at this stage, I don't have to write a city urban agriculture plan starting from scratch, Mm -hmm. right? You know, Philadelphia is working on one right now. You know, Um, other cities have worked on them as well in the past, you know, Seattle, was an early adopter in this work you know many years ago and and several others too right throughout the country canada you know i mean toronto has some some work out there so it's definitely one of those things where you should utilize the resources that are out there see what you like see what makes sense start having those conversations with amongst your community and then amongst your kind of elected leadership and, and community leaders and representatives and just go, I tell people, hold us accountable. Come directly to folks, send us an email, make a phone call, say, hey, I heard there was a food forest in Southwest Atlanta. I heard there was a food forest in Southeast Atlanta. How can we get one in my community? And then like, I'm gonna respond to that, you know? And I think that that's the way it should be everywhere is that again, we serve the people. So it does take a little bit of research, but really if you type in mm-hmm. urban agriculture in cities right now in Google, you'll see so much work, right? You'll see so much mm-hmm. stuff. So do your research, and then approach your community. See, get that community buy-in, because that definitely helps. You know, I mean, one person saying something, it could be great, that's awesome. A 100 people saying something, it'll move the needle faster, you Yeah. Know? Um, or at least it'll get you into certain doors <laughs> to have those conversations when it's like, okay, there's a 100 people that are asking this question. So that's what I would say, get the research, talk to the community, and then approach.
4: For the aspiring student, you know, what advice would you give to them if they were looking to pursue farming as, a, as a, a lifestyle or a career pathway?
5: Do the research, reach out to folks who are already doing it, and find out from them what that experience has been like. I will say that when it comes to, you know, working with folks who are like farmers and stuff like that, if you can put in some sweat equity, mm-hmm. <laughs> that always goes a long way. Uh, farmers are some of the most friendly people you'll meet overall, and they're also some of the busiest. Um, So they don't always have the chance to kind of like sit down and do interviews and things of that nature, but they're working. So if you're able to go out there, you know, and kind of, you know, volunteer with a farm, volunteer with some gardens, learn, you know, what they're doing and how they're doing, that usually goes a long way. Yeah. Um, And definitely go from there because there's a lot of ways to step into this work um, as far as urban agriculture and farming and things of that nature. And it's not a one size fits all thing. So the more that you can hear from other folks who are doing it, mm-hmm. the more that it'll help you. And you're not gonna learn everything on the front end. You gotta what I know now is different than what I knew in 2013. Yeah. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that you should definitely reach out to people doing the work mm-hmm. versus like thinking like, oh, it's just a fantasy and it looks like a you know commercial from a yeah. doll ad or something. It's like part of it does, but part of it is like wet. Yeah, <laughs> you <know? yeah>. Part <laughs> of it is wet. Um, and uh, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, you gotta do it. And and then, you know, I, I will say one of the things that we've learned or experienced in this kind of COVID pandemic and everything else is, I think it's shown more people the power of doing things virtually.
1: The future of farming in America is uncertain. Our farmers are aging and selling off their land. But the pandemic has revealed the importance of local farms as the national and international supply chain continues to be disrupted.
4: I mean, it's not like most farmers have a company-sponsored retirement plan.
1: I'm Hannah Forden, HRN's program manager, and I want to tell you about a new show. Hosted by John Piotti, the president and CEO of American Farmland Trust, and produced in collaboration with Heritage Radio Network, this is No Farms, No Future. There is a new generation of small farmers. We're here to tell their stories, share knowledge, and dig deep into the future of American farming. From land stewardship.
0: We are losing 2,000 acres of farmland a day.
1: The price of land is often so high that it's really hard to get started. To cracks in the supply chain.
0: By the time I go shopping every single day, There's no meat left to feed my family.
1: The future of farms is the future of food. Subscribe to No Farms, No Future, a new podcast from American Farmland Trust and Heritage Radio Network. Find us wherever you like to listen.
5: So I can have a conversation with you in person and or you know, from New York to here. And of course we could do that before, but now we can connect everybody on the call. We can look at each other if you want to do the camera, et cetera, and um, that's just what it takes. So even if you're in an area that is not loaded like Atlanta with urban agriculturalists and people who are doing this work, see what's close by and if you can get to it, and even if you just reach out, folks will usually give you a call back or send you an email. But don't just jump into it like it's gonna look like a commercial because this is not a commercial. <laughs> nah, man. This is
4: this is live, this raining is really here, yeah. southwest Atlanta cool, next right? to the grandfather birch tree. Yeah, history.
5: all those carvings of people leaving their initials and stuff. Though. Yeah, that's how old this tree is.
4: You know, there there's definitely a lot to to learn from history, whether it's about the history of America, the history of farming. Um, You know, what do you think the new generation of farmers can learn by studying the past Mm -hmm. um, specific to Atlanta urban agriculture or just agriculture in general?
5: Yeah, you know, kind of similar to what I was saying there about like not necessarily trying to reinvent the wheel, Mm -hmm. learning what already exists. Um, And then digging deeper, I think. That's where sometimes it gets uh, either way. (laughs) Um, Learning what exists and then digging deeper, right? Because what'll happen is when you start looking at the history of urban agriculture in the city of Atlanta, you'll see some uh, organizations and some names that are no longer in existence, right? Mm -hmm. And you'll also see some organizations and names that are still here. And that's a beautiful thing and we're grateful for that. And then the question is what happened, right? What happened that led to truly living well or global growers or other organizations being able to still maintain their trajectory? What were some of the challenges? What were some of the victories? You know, things again, education, like how you can step into it. And then for the organizations that are no longer here, what happened, right? Like did they try to go too fast, too far? Did they, were they not funded? Were they working with some other organizations or, you know, it was federal funded and the federal money went away. Like Mm -hmm. learning that history and learning that story I think also, again, when it comes to like reinventing things, you know, look to the past. I mean, as I said, there are people who it is indigenous to them, right? As far as how they practice agriculture and how they're connected to the land. And many of us come from those kinds of cultures that are all kind of here in Atlanta, as well as the country, United States of America as a whole. So, yeah, if I can, I should go and meet with the Cherokee and I should go and meet with the Muskogee and the creek who, you know, this is their land, you know, before it was anybody else's it predated and learn how they were able to sustain themselves. Because at this point, we know historically agriculture has been around forever. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we're still creating new things. And at times we create new terms, but sustainability, regenerative agriculture, you know, even to a certain extent, perhaps maybe even controlled environment growing like. Of course, there's gonna be a point where you can market like this is where it really took off or this is who really promoted it to a certain extent, but more than likely it's existed in different ways and different forms for Mm -hmm. quite some time. So just learning from the past, not necessarily having to be stuck in the past, but being able to acknowledge it and being able to address it and then being able to promote it going forward. I say, you know, if I can learn from, again, I used to work in restaurants. When I get off at a restaurant or I used to work with some guys in the kitchen, um, and I was mostly front of the house, but worked with some guys in the kitchen. I'd drop them off and I was like, wait a minute, are you growing pepper plants? And I went into the backyard and you know, this is somebody who's a Latinx person, you know, who was uh, worked in the kitchen at that time. And he told me just flat out, he was like, well, that's how I grew up, you know, like, yeah. yeah, I came from, you know, somewhere, Central America, you know, and I used to grow food, that's how we grew up. So yeah, I still do the same thing here. And matter of fact, he's like sometimes I bring in my peppers to the restaurant. <laughs> <and> <laughs> I, won't, I won't name him or the restaurant. Sometimes I bring my peppers to the restaurant, and we actually use them in some of the dishes. That's amazing. And the reality is, those peppers are going to taste better than anything else that you're going to get at the grocery store because he's using that cultural knowledge and that heritage. That's been passed down to him mm-hmm. and just kind of putting that love into it doing his own composting before he was he was calling it composting just like yeah i, I saved my banana peels, you know <laughs> like just doing that so i think that that's a part of it you got to understand the past to know where you're going and know where you are currently and then also to see how it can be like addressed and acknowledged mm-hmm. and moved forward and then add the innovation right the stuff that you know you do y'all do other organizations then add the innovation to it and now everybody's winning. I think that that's something that just happens to be necessary. It's like, everybody has to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why shouldn't everybody be <laughs> elevated in this whole experience of food?
4: Yeah, you know? it's, a, it's an ecosystem and everyone exactly. plays a part in it. Exactly. So what is your vision for the city of Atlanta's urban agriculture? Is it a community? Is it an industry? Is it a movement? You know, how do, how do you see it? How do you define it? Hmm. Evolving. Evolving. Definitely evolving.
5: Evolving. Iterative. Mm -hmm. um, Powerful. um, A combination of the past, the present and the future. Um, You know, I think it's it's all of those things. You know, I don't know. I know some people who are in this work who they would say it's not a movement anymore. And, you know, they'd have different perspectives on it. And that's fine. Uh, What we know is this. There are even within five miles of here there are easily four farms, like urban ag sites that exist right here in southwest Atlanta. If you go in that same vicinity, there's X Morph Community Gardens, and you can kind of tell that story in multiple parts of the city of Atlanta. Um, so the city of Atlanta scene is thriving. It's adventurous. It's, it's a combination of, you know, there have been several organizations that have done like um, Controlled development, growing in like shipping containers, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you're you're definitely aware of yeah. like several of those. You know, there's folks who have had those conversations. Obviously, the conference, um, and then there's folks who are still you know reclaiming historical sites like this, um, which have a cultural significance. This is Bush Mountain. At one time, this was the highest point in the city of Atlanta. Really? Actually, yeah. Like they used to say, I think if you if you were to cut all this back, when you talk to residents who've like grown up here, you could see downtown.
4: And what was
5: happening here at Bush Mountain? Yeah, glad you brought that up. So where we're standing in is uh, the the neighborhood community of Bush Mountain, Southwest Atlanta. This is the Outdoor Activity Center. Um, The field we're in right now is the practice field of the Atlanta Black Crackers. Uh, The Atlanta Black Crackers are the oldest uh, recognized baseball team for the city of Atlanta, predates the Atlanta Braves, and is a team from the Negro Leagues. So. There was a time when you, Black players weren't allowed in Major League Baseball leagues, right? So th- they had fields like this. This field is known for some of the players that used to play here and then also some of the visitors. Hank Aaron is known to have come here many times, had mm-hmm. people on the team, and there's all kinds of other like local, and not even just local, national baseball legends that used to practice on this baseball field. Bush Mountain is also a community that... I mean, it's it's one of the oldest communities in the city of Atlanta, and it kind of predates even, I think, like the official founding of Atlanta. Um, it's largely been, you know, black folks. There have definitely been other folks as well, but largely been black folks. So you've got this oldest baseball team in the city of Atlanta. Um, you've got the practice field. You've got the history of all kinds of folks playing here. And then for residents, they said they would just come here and watch the games. They mm-hmm. would just like play around. They would just sit here, I and mean, you, you can tell, like, this would be, a, it's, a, it's a nice space yeah. and we're going to trim back this kudzu and all that. And it was just a community space, you know, there's, there's a field, there's a pathway that used to be right here. Again, got to trim back the kudzu. So, you know, Wild likes to stated as placekeeping instead of placemaking, like keeping these valuable pockets of the city um, that exist and then uplifting and amplifying their stories and then also reactivating and re-energizing them when you come you know a year from now you'll see there's going to be a whole bunch of other things that have been put here you know again partly through the work the visioning work of this community lilo jones and outdoor fresh farm and my predecessor mario who helped with drafting the design of this space so um yeah that's that's just that's where we are it's a historical place as you as we experience there there's a old growth forest
4: you know what questions am i not asking that i should be asking
2: um
4: You know,
5: I, I, I'll go with this one. So I think so part of we want to see, I would like to see, I would like to see an increase in diversity, right? Mm-hmm. In like ag tech, right? So, you know, even in working in like the nonprofit areas and this and the other, I mean, you know, I'll find myself often as like, you know, I look to my left and my right, it's a room of 20 people, you know, you might see another brown person in the yeah. room, you know, right? Um, but at the same time, I know that there are definitely other black and brown and indigenous people of color that are into this work. Mm-hmm. Right. So what is that disconnect and what is causing or contributing to us being in different spaces, except for like obviously like how we're doing this. Um, so I would like to crack that code a little bit. And again, I think part of my contribution to it is one being able to speak on it. Um, and then also being able to like show and put things into practice and demonstration. So people can say, Oh, I never thought about that. Like yeah. we should connect. Um, but, and also like, I would say this, I would ch- charge that and challenge that to the organizations that are in this ag tech space. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of funding. There's a lot of ideas, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, so how can we ensure that that reaches as many people as possible, quote unquote, everyone, um, So, yeah, that's that's something that I would like to see. And I don't have the the answer to all of it. I I play a part in it. You know, I'd I'd love to continue to do the conference and and things of that nature. Um, But, yeah, that's that's what it is, because I think. What I learned coming into this work is like it existed before me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not that old, but I mean, it existed before there were terms of urban agriculture. It existed mm-hmm. before all that. So as one of the growers told me so politely one time, he was like, well, J.O. lou we're going to be doing this no matter what you're doing in your position and <laughs> <laughs> your position and all of that. And I respected that because he was right. He was like, before the positions and the titles and the roles and the, the interests, you know we were doing this work and we're going to continue to do this work because people are connected to it in just a deeper level and like it's for some people it's a spiritual level for some people it's like a family ancestry level mm-hmm. you know etc so yeah just continuing to push the culture forward you know um and just continuing to be present and hopefully you know possibly i inspire somebody else one day you know to kind of like yeah that Jolu guy like went from restaurants to popsicles to you know, hands in the soil, turning compost. And now he's like a director in the city Mm -hmm. government. Like, you know, it's just, and I mean, yeah, I said the restaurant part. So yeah, showing people that like things are possible and sometimes you can just create them yourself and just combining the efforts that already exists with also like the new jobs and technology and advancement. So that's what I would like to see. I think, you know, I'm a part of it. and I think we're doing it. Um, I think times like this are doing it. You know, I think the work that y'all do and the blog and all that helps reach so many people. but yeah, continuing to push that and say like, hey y'all, why aren't there more you know, women in this room? Why aren't there more you know, LGBTQ identified mm-hmm. people in this room? Why aren't there more black and brown people in this room? And having that like real conversation and then being like, do we want that? And if, if people are say, no, we don't want that. We want, we want diversity. we want inclusion, we want diversity, et cetera, mm. et cetera. It's like, okay, cool, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. let's do it. And I will also say that, you know, doing it doesn't always happen overnight but like pay the people to help you do it, right? That's interesting. I find that in this work, sometimes people will be quick to hire for a planner or quick to this or quick to that. And then once you start saying like social infrastructure or like, you know, working through uh, social justice, then it's like, ah,
0: I don't know, I don't know. And it's like,
5: well, that's what it's going to take. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, that, like literally that's what it's going to take if we're all going to rise. And I think the reality is like, we all want to be better. We all, nobody wants to live in a food you know food impoverished area nobody wants to have to drive take three buses to get to a store to get food like we all want different food access points within our communities and we recognize that like it doesn't exist right now so like having those tough conversations which i think 2020 helped amplify for people um so i hope that like continues um and then also like the action i think that's where that's where it is now it's like okay we We know the challenges, Mm -hmm. like we know the histories, we we know that and we should continue to make sure there's a place for that. But then also like, so what are we gonna do about it? And I think that my position and others throughout the country, I think that's what it represents. It's like, oh, you didn't know about community gardens? There's one right behind your house. Yeah. (laughs) Cool, now you're inspired to do one in the other neighborhood, great. And then, I mean, we haven't talked about it as much in this conversation, but there's there's like economic, I mean, environmental benefits to that, right? Mm -hmm. Sustainability benefits to that, I mean, you know, landfill, right? We don't want stuff going into the landfill, like food waste that like be going into like a compost bin or something like that, you know, sequestering carbon at a you know, much stronger rate and a more active rate. Like that's, that's what we want. That makes it better for everyone. You know, using that same compostable material, like we're going to trim out this, uh, a lot of this uh, kudzu over the next couple of weeks, trimming that out, mulching it and letting it just like go right back into the soil, dead quote unquote from like growing back up but putting the nutrients back into the soil so then we can plant it right, mm-hmm. and go from there. So just kind of showing that like, um, closed loop type system um, and showing people that you don't have to necessarily all be farmers. You don't, everybody doesn't have to be a farmer. Everyone doesn't have to grow something, um, but the more we're able to grow individually and independently and collectively, like, the better for the environment, the better for yourself, back to my heirloom tomatoes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's the better for the environment as well. Like Who doesn't want clean air? Right. Yeah. Well, guess what? If we continue to have trees, we'll have it. Right? <laughs> if we continue to, you know, grow pollinator gardens, you know, if we continue to do that, like we'll have more food, we'll have more butterflies, we'll have more bees. So anytime we see those cities about, I mean, stories about like, you know, the population of bees is declining and all of that, you can also say, but you know, I'm doing my part to kind of push it back the other direction. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, I think hopefully we'll one day we'll we'll turn the tides. You yeah. Know? So that's what I
4: think. Last question for you. Yeah. Um, you know, through your journey. Um, and your continued journey, what, what, um, resources, books, or leaders have inspired you and have been, you know, a a wealth of knowledge and learning, um, Mm. for you to get to where you are now?
5: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm not going to butcher titles of books, but I will name some folks. So I
4: can always fact check it. If if we need to, I'm not going to
5: butcher it. I'm not going to butcher it. I'll acknowledge my, uh, I'll like acknowledge one of my shortcomings. I'm like, you know, the book the so-and-so wrote. You know? <laughs> but um, let me see. I think from a, like, hmm. So there's a, a Dr. Ando, um, who I heard about, like, you know, who was here in Atlanta and who has worked, you know, worked really closely and inspired one of my, you know, kind of uh, brothers who I look up to in this work, Chris Edwards. So um, Dr. Ando, for sure. I uh, believe he was a botanist. Um, Rashid Nuri, absolutely local legend and international legend as well. Um, I mean, going before all of that, I would say Shirley Sharad. Um, you know, and and the fact that they started their co-op down in South Georgia and it predates all other co-ops and it was really the the beginning of the cooperative movement um, with this land. Uh, there was like black farmers in South Georgia, and it still exists to this day. Um, Shirley Chisholm, I'm sorry, Shirley, um, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, mm-hmm. definitely an inspiration in this. And then when I come to, you know, nowadays, I mean, Leah Penniman and Soulfire Farm, you know, the work that they're doing up there. Uh, Maliki Keeney in Detroit, you know, I mean, definitely doing some amazing work out there. Um, hmm, Deron Chavis in Richmond, Virginia, uh, for sure doing some great work there. Like, yeah, there's this, there's this bubbling, there's this network. I've got some folks in uh, Charleston, in South Carolina doing some work the work that's happening with the Gullah Geechee uh heritage culture and and that whole movement again folks that have already been here and that are doing it so all of the folks that are working on preserving those uh food ways and preserving those waterways and and all of that I mean all that stuff I think is interesting to me I think you know my family is uh Nigerian um in culture so I grew up in the United States um and then always just had that kind of international experience as well or at least that Nigerian experience as well so Um, I tell people like being born in London, being Nigerian and growing up in the southeast, I can talk trash about everybody. But also (laughs) like what it what it helped me do, I think, is I guess for most of my life, I've just had this like view of things that are kind of broader because my my family circle was always broader. Like I have family that lives all over the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the way I look at this agriculture work as well, is that what we're doing here is instrumental and it parallels to what's happening in certain places in Paris, you know, and it parallels to some of the work that's happening in Haiti and in Kenya, um, you know, some of the work that's happening throughout the continent of Africa, definitely Central South America. I mean, it's just everywhere. Like the first there's some people say there is no culture without agriculture. Right. So, um, yeah, that's that's the thing. <laughs> that's Amazing. The thing. So it's a, it's a lot of folks out there. Mm-hmm. I'd be remiss. I'm like, oh, man, if I start naming books and I'm sure someone's going to be like, what about me? <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's inspiring work, you know?
4: Awesome. Giallo, yeah. this has been fantastic. Yeah, man. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Likewise, man. Yeah.
3: Thanks to our brilliant guests. Fields theme music is by Sam Tyndall. Our amazing producing engineer at Heritage Radio is Liam Werner.
2: Fields is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at
3: the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org.
1: Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio and at Fields Podcast.
2: Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you.
3: Want to be a part of the world's most innovative community?